Strava Craft Coffee. It's rich CBD-infused coffee that you can purchase in K-cups for your Keurig, whole bean, or ground. Purchase online for 20% off using code DNVR20. Order online, it ships to you incredibly fast. You can try it at Carbon Cafe and Bar, Drip Denver, Slow High Coffee, Blue Sparrow Coffee, and Max Market. CBD is non-psychoactive, has been known to help long-term migraines, decreasing anxiety, arthritis, IBS, etc., CBD has done wonders for me, and since I've been drinking Strava Craft Coffee, I find myself much less jittery, and I promise you a schedule and lifestyle in where I drink a great deal of coffee. I was starting to feel the effects of it, but CBD has given me a ton more energy and focus with none of the shakes and all of the negative things that come from coffee. So remember to go online, purchase for 20% off using code DNVR20. And go. Ball in the air, deep right center go. field. Two run, home run, Trevor Story. Way back, Myers, he'll watch it go Chuck Nasty. Two run, home run, David Dahl. Nolan drives this high in the air, deep left field. Take a good look, you won't see it for long. I don't want to lose your love Welcome in to the DNVR Rockies podcast brought to you by Mile High Green Cross. Remember, sign up for their loyalty program and get 20% off your entire purchase once per month. I'm your host, Drew Creaseman. I'm the managing editor of DNVR Rockies. With us, as always, is our guy, Patrick Lyons. With us, as every once in a while happens, is one of our favorite former Colorado Rockies outfielders and our favorite current Colorado Rockies broadcaster. <laughs> we said it. We said it. a key cog in the best Rockies team ever, Corey Sullivan. Thanks for taking the time. Well, thanks for taking a hit out of my pocketbook for saying that, because I'm sure Spilly is going to hear about it. And that just means I'm going to have to owe money. Well, <laughs> <laughs> no, but when, next time he comes back on the podcast, a miracle will happen and suddenly he will be. Oh, see, you can't tell me that. No, no. Your friendship, well, your friendship dues are due now, so... Actually, here, I was going to say, here, here's the way it'll work. Actually, you're you're in a solid lead because you've been on the podcast more times. I want to say this is <laughs> fourth or fifth appearance. He's been on two, three times. So, Well, people, people get tired of hearing him. He's oversaturated the market. That's right. <laughs> yeah. uh, one thing that is not, sadly, oversaturating the market right now is baseball games. Uh, Soli, why don't you fill us in a little bit on what you're doing without baseball, and then we can jump into some of your ideas for how we can get some baseball into our lives. I think, uh, much like every other fan, I'm struggling to find some way to consume something baseball-related. Uh, I have resorted to some great lengths. I have obtained a old-school Nintendo and an old school original Sega so that I can play old school baseball games. It's uh, yes. been pretty fun. Uh, and uh, we've, we've kind of taken to that, but now that the weather's getting nice, there's no hiding the fact that we're missing it. And I wish I could watch it, play it, do something. It's tough. Cause we used to have one hell of a wiffle ball game here in our neighborhood. 
and we can't even do that. Yeah, it, it's brutal out there. So I know that one of the things we were talking a little bit before we came on, you've had some time to think about. We could have some version of baseball. Uh, hit us with it. Give it. Give us some hopeful thoughts here. What would you like to see? Well, I think an easy way right now is you have so many guys down in Arizona, whether it's your leadoff hitter who can't hit any homers or whether it's your three or four hole hitter like a Nolan or Trevor or Charlie, send one – two guys out one to each dugout with a camera static on home plate you put a pitching machine on the mound and you just have a home run derby and i mean they never have to interact with anybody or see anybody or anything like that i think i think all of us would tune in nonstop to watch it they could literally run it 24 hours if they want <laughs> and just send two new guys two new guys two new guys I mean, that's essentially what the NHL has with the shootout. I mean, obviously, there's the defensive aspect with goalkeepers. But, I mean, it, that's what you want to see. You want to see one-on-one, best of the best. And, well, if it's not one-on-one, it's one against a, a machine. And still, right, but, you're seeing a guy's best. That's what you want to see. Right. Again, it's just something for us to consume. I, I would love to watch any – I watch guys take ground balls right now. Let's right. be I, was, I was trying to think, like, who's the most obscure. It's like, I'd watch Chris Owings versus Harrison Bader in a home run derby. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And let's be honest. I think Vegas could probably use something for people to put some money on. How much would a pay-per-view be to watch Josh Fuentes and Nolan Arenado in a ground ball off? I mean, that right there is going to be at le- bringing at least twenty nine ninety nine. Oh, easily. <laughs> I mean, at this point, you can charge whatever you want because people are going to pay. Right. People have been watching me play video games. <laughs> yeah. What? I mean, come on. That's amazing to me. <laughs> As well, the, I want your guys' opinion of this, but one of the ideas I really think when they do get back to playing baseball, you know, is if we're going to do this in empty stadiums, I know they've talked about Arizona, but if it gets too hot down there, you're not going to be able to do that. Come to your hometown, right? Let's say here in Denver, Colorado, I live up in Evergreen right now. Why not just play the games at Evergreen High School? Thomas Jefferson High School, right? Yes. All you need is a camera crew, put it on TV. You don't need fans. And to me, I think the guys will enjoy that more and the game will be better because it's not played in a just a vacuum of an empty stadium. And then you've got the high school kids when you think about it saying, oh my God, Nolan Arenado was standing at my position on my field, right? That's, I just think it's a- such a unique aspect of the game. That's grassroots right there, right? That's that's yeah. bringing the game. You've got the major leaguers making, you know, the the money that they do, millions of dollars. But yeah, bringing it back to where did it start? On some little field next to a high school that's got some right. weird dimensions. Bring it there. Bring it back where it started. Right. And and really, I mean, I know you're gonna eventually when the game gets on TV, people are gonna try and show up and watch. Uh, well, you could do your best, but I think fans will enjoy the idea that you're bringing it to them so that they know not to come, right? They'll stay away and let these guys play the game, and we'll just watch and enjoy it, man. Love it. Our, our guy John says he'd pay 30 bucks for that, presumably just to, you know, watch on TV. I know a lot of people bring up, you know, wouldn't there be a ton of – you just started to mention, you just need a camera, you know, crew out there, man, a little bit. But you, you work in the production side of things now. Tell us in terms of the logistics, how doable is this? How many – people would you need out there to broadcast a game? Can we still hear you and, and Spilly and Jenny and, and Drew and Huey, you know, can you do that remotely? How would we set this up? 
So ironically, Jenny and I last year tested, uh, we call it a Remy broadcast, where we tested remote broadcasting. And uh, we actually had to do it once live, one of the games in New York a few years ago. The audio went down, and Jenny and I had to right. play the game from the studio uh, just for an inning. But it's a little different for us. But to be honest with you, I think it would be so cool and unique for the fans. But on the production side, what do you – I mean, realistically, you could probably get away with four cameras. You know, you have your center field camera. You got your camera above home plate and then one on each dugout. And that's that's all you need, those four people. And you, you'd you have a camera truck, obviously, where they can run replays and do all that. That would be – that would be the interesting part because inside that truck, you've got roughly 20 people in close quarters. So that's where they'd have to figure out how to do it. And of course, that would probably mean you would you would lose the ability for instant replay. But I think that's just one of those things you have to get past right now. Again, we just want to get the game back. We don't care if it's at Coors Field. We don't even care if it's at a spring training complex. Bring the players back, back bring the game back. If we lose those little elements, I think that's, that's a more than fair trade-off. I, I agree. I mean, at, this year, I don't want to say it's going to have an asterisk, but it's going to be different, and it allows for the opportunity to change some things. Some, some you can test out. I don't mind Justin Turner's advice of the home run derby to decide a game. But I'd like to see it that wherever you are in the order is who's up. Ooh. Oh. Right. See, that these are, you got, yeah. If you got an eight-hole hitter who's, you know, a singles guy versus a three-hole hitter, it's going to be a slaughter. But who knows? Maybe the guy, the eight-hole hitter, hits four and he ends up winning it. And that, that becomes a strategic element because now you're going into the ninth inning saying, all right, look, if we can shut down the other team, we go to extras to the dirty. Right. But now how do we want to end this game? You know, shoot, the guy who's hitting eighth, you know, because of a double switch is much better. Do we put him on first base? Now you've increased the, the odds of the team winning the game outright in the ninth inning because you're too preoccupied, focused on that home run derby. So that – you lose the pitcher, right, if you're going to add the DH, which seems like that's going to be the way it's going to go for the 2020 season. But you definitely bring in a new strategic element in the game with this suggestion. Yeah, I, and again, I this is not to upset traditionalists because I fancy myself one in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. This is just a year where we get to have some fun, bring yeah. the fun back so that we can truly enjoy it and get our minds off of everything else. Yeah, Adam says, I would pay to watch a bunt off at this point. So, you know, all of those. <laughs> exactly. All I'm, coming out, of I'm coming out of retirement <laughs> if that happens. <laughs> show, show us those bunt-off skills. These, but these ideas are obviously more exciting. Uh, Sully, you mentioned that there were a, a couple of things that I've been very intrigued about if they get back out there on the diamond to play. Everyone knows I'm a big electronic strike zone guy. It seems like if they get back out there in one way or another, we'll get to test that more. Um, I've come around on universal DH, but the biggest thing for me is if let's say they're mostly regular games, empty stadiums, whatever it may be, but we're playing them all in Arizona and Florida. The one that's been most interesting to me is how will a Rockies team that has always had this Coors field and then the hangover problem looming over them. What do you think we would see? Would we see a far steadier? Would Nolan's numbers just jump off the charts? Um, or would you be as intrigued to see, this team play without all of that stuff? Uh, and would that ultimately be a good thing if it's determined that like actually Coors Field is this giant hindrance? I don't know. What do you think? What's your take on that? Uh, 
it's an interesting thought. I actually hadn't had that. But if they were to play every game down in Arizona, I do think the numbers would show a significant difference, particularly home road, because let's say they play every game at Salt River Fields as a home game, and then they go play everywhere else. Well, conditions aren't changing. Right. So you're going to see very consistent numbers from all of them. And I think people will finally understand the true effect, not Coors Field has, but going on the road has. And I think people are starting to learn that that is a, a thing, but they don't understand how to digest it or what to make of it. And, you know, I think you'd see, depending on the games, if there's a hundred games, I think you could see guys go on stretches where they might hit a homer in 15 straight games. It's amazing like, how you're getting, you're going to see a lot of those things start really changing. It's, it's amazing how far we've come with analytics uh, and saber metrics yet. There's, there's, as you said, you know, not everybody fully understands that the effects of Coors Field is probably worse when you go on the road because of, of right. what off-speed pitches look like. But we've, you know, we're, we're still trying to make growth there, yet we're still so far away from, you know, entirely being able to, to compute it. Well, what is, how do we have a metric that says, oh, you know, we understand what Coors Field does, but to this degree, it changes. We haven't really nailed that down, how much a player is aided at home, and on the road versus on the road, like we we just still don't know how good players in Colorado have been. Patrick, I want you to think about this. It's also going to have varying effects on various types of players. Mm. You know, I mean, you get a guy who at Coors Field could be a twenty homer guy, but that eight feet of difference is every home run that he hit, and all of a sudden he doesn't hit for power, and all of a sudden he those balls aren't doubles; they're caught at the warning track, or you know, just. The idea of the guy who's a singles hitter where he hits a lot of soft line drives, well, those get caught out on the road because they're not traveling as far. Just there's all different aspects. I don't know how you can create some sort of analytic for each type of player where one stat is indicative of Nolan or a guy like myself. I just don't know how that would I, – I love statistics. I love numbers. I don't know how you would do that. Yeah, I, I think that I've always sort of talked about that, how like Nolan Arenado just of course field doesn't matter to him, where somebody like DJ LeMayhew like, took full advantage of it. And to his credit, now he's taking full advantage of his current ballpark. Will makes an right. interesting point here. He says, I'd rather see what the pitcher's numbers look like if that factor is removed. I, I think about a guy particularly like a currently, you know, Harmen Marquez. I think Gray has done a good job actually figuring out the dynamic a little bit. But somebody right. like Marquez – you just let him sink into a rhythm and let his stuff break the same way all the time. He doesn't have to guess where that curveball is going to end up. Goodness, that could get just ugly out there. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about him having, you know, Cy Young capabilities, no-hit stuff every time he hits the mound. Well, when you're in Arizona or wherever, if it was Florida where there's more humidity, it could get real gnarly for Herman. But to me, you'd see all these numbers start to just kind of – get more centralized, if you know what I mean, where Trevor and Nolan would be real similar, I think, as hitters, right? And Charlie might even jump into that group where, whether it's power, I, I just think it'd be interesting to see, and it'd be a great case study because you're going to get a good enough sample size, hopefully 100 games, if it was down there, where right. you could do some real digestion of numbers. It's it's so complex because, you know, obviously Daniel Murphy was was injured for so much of the 2019 season, but he was a guy that you look at his, you know, his 
double totals from each and every season. And you go, oh, shoot, at Coors Field, how many of those might he leg out to a triple? How many of those are just going right over the fence? So, man, his OPS might end up skyrocketing. And again, you know, we didn't necessarily see that because of, uh, you know, his, his finger injury that he had. But uh, even a simple concept like that of, hey, doubles turn into homers, well, they don't always. They, they don't always. It doesn't always go that easily. Right. Uh, I think for Daniel, it's kind of tragic that his years at Coors Field, we might not get to see that potential. Obviously, they're not going to – I don't foresee a full 162-game season, but there's no question in my mind, having played with Daniel in New York and watching him, he'd hit 50 doubles easily at Coors Field in a full season. Easily. Yeah, that's pretty wild. I think I think Drew got caught up a little bit. So, Corey, one thing you know that we've been doing at, at DNVR it has been these Rocky reviews and uh, digging through uh, some history of, of some of the greatest games as well as just uh, overall accomplishments. And you've had several fantastic, memorable games for the Rockies. But one in particular, and uh, I'm sure you've been asked about this before, was from April 9th, 2006. Uh, does, mm-hmm. the name, does the name jump out already? Uh, yeah, Jake Peavy and Chan Ho Park. <laughs> That's what go. I think of. Those are the two pitchers. Two triples in one inning. Go back to that, at least from where it started, as far as you know, your, your first at-bat in that inning. You know, anytime we had an opportunity to face Jake Peavy, it was always a battle, Yeah, especially in those years, Cy Young years for him. And I can remember when I'm leading off, or even when I was hitting two hole, if I was hitting in front of Todd, it was kind of a concept of wanting to see pitches, but that was, you know, antithesis to the way I am. I wanted to jump on the first fastball that I saw and try and, you know, stand out at second base so that somebody could knock me in and put some immediate pressure on the pitcher. And against a guy like Peavy, I mean, you knew he was going to challenge you. And, uh, you know, on that, on that day, just, I seemed to find the right places in the spacious San Diego outfield. That's what I would say. I mean, uh, I I think back on it, and I can remember when I got to third on the second one, I looked into the dugout, and it didn't occur to me at the time. Everybody was like, oh, you're mean mugging us because you got two triples. When I got into the dugout, I was like, I didn't even realize they were in the same inning. Yeah, I guess that happens. It, it, it took so long that it didn't even process in my head. Yeah, I guess that's what happens when you, know, when you when you score seven runs in an inning like that. It's just yeah. it's like we we had to we play defense somewhere in between these seven runs, right? No, we've been in here for the for the last forty five minutes straight. Uh, yeah, especially in San Diego. That, that back then in Petco Park, you never thought that was going to happen. Yeah, that, that that's such an interesting ballpark. John Gray has talked about he pitches so well there, and and he's not really sure why. Have has you know has that place in particular has any other stadiums you know just had a better hitter's eye overall that when you get there you just know you're you're kind of more into a, a groove than you are at in, in other locations. Uh, for me, I loved hitting there. I loved hitting at Dodger Stadium. I really, really did. I don't know what it, I like. the The grass is super fast there. It's like a pool table. And I just felt like I could see the ball. I love the way the crowd was involved there. Anytime it's loud, I think all players enjoy that. It just makes you a little more amped up. Uh, old Atlanta, I loved it. I don't know why they. I I, I think SunTrust the ball flies pretty well, but I loved hitting. They had that giant eighty foot jumbotron. You kind of get stuck looking at yourself every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. Th- those things can can certainly be 
a distraction. I know last year, I think it was, you know, Desmond, I don't know if he had an inside the park home run or if he had a couple extra base hits, but by the end of the game, like he was already feeling it because of the elevation. Do you remember, you know, after your second triple that later that night or the next day waking up and kind of, you know, maybe feeling better than you would have expected? Cause again, you're at, you're at sea level. Yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> it's so funny that we all talk about, you know, course field and the altitude and the effect it has on the ball, but people just gloss over the effect it has on the body and the, just the effect it has on the wear and tear. There's no question that had that happened at course field, I would have felt it the next day, even just something as simple as running virtually 180 yards. That's all that was. But when you do it in San Diego, it's a whole lot different than when you do it with less oxygen at course field. And, you know, I, like I said, I just loved hitting in San Diego and obviously the weather's pretty much perfect. So it's, uh, it's a little different. Has, Hi Drew. Welcome back. Hey, how's the podcast going? <laughs> Good. Talking about hitting two triples in San Diego. Uh, one of us did. I'm not going to tell you who you'll have to okay. go back and listen, but, uh, you know, when, as you, you touched on, and I know Charlie talked about that in, in the 2018 world, uh, the playoffs, just, just overall about, you know, how, the body just gets beat up playing at altitude. And, and you of course know, you know, how hard Charlie works after games where, you know, he's, he's the last guy that we're waiting to talk to because even after playing a three and a half hour ball game, he's working out. So, you know, for you, was there, was there ever like a moment in, in games either that dragged on or it was a hot summer day where you thought about maybe almost having to conserve your energy in a moment or, do you just, as a professional, say, I, I can't think about how tired I'm going to be or how tired I am now. I just got to push through right at this moment. You know, it's funny. We all have that hubris, that ego that wants to say, you know what, I can conquer it. I can do it. But I can remember one of the two or three 16-inning games that I played in at Coors Field just being exhausted by about the 13th inning. And I really had nothing left. And it's always funny when you watch those games at Coors Field, you watch the swings that start happening after the 12th or 13th inning, and it has to end on a home run because guys are just so exhausted. It's going to take one of the guys just connecting on it. Now, when I tie back in the hubris I was talking about is it took me the next day, I actually had to walk into Hurdle's office and say, Skip, I'm smoked. I, like, I, I didn't think I'd ever say those words. Like I, my legs, my back, I'm beat. I don't, I mean, I can play, but I don't know if I can play all nine. And it, thank God other people had been through that. You know, I mean, obviously we watch it with Todd back in the day where his body and what it would take for him to get back at it. Charlie, tell you what, Charlie's a machine, man. He's learned how to really prepare his body on a daily basis. And obviously technology's changed a lot, but what he does is full blown focus for six months of I know how to get my body from A to B. Yeah. And Drew and I have been talking this off season that it, it probably blows some people's minds away. And it, it might right now for anyone listening is that Charlie Blackman is not much younger than Carlos Gonzalez. Nope. And yet one guy is still at the top of his game coming off another all-star season. And another guy is, you know, for better or worse, you know, battling to to try to find a, another job this season and it, and it all goes back to his you know preparedness both on and off the field yeah i i think it's interesting you bring up cargo when you compare the two cargo is easily one of the three most gifted athletes when it comes to baseball that i've probably ever seen 
And I think a lot of times for cargo, it came easy. And Charlie, I think it's the opposite. A lot of the time it came real difficult and he's had to figure it out as he went. And what, one of the things that's always blown my mind about Charlie is his awareness of himself in his life, like in the moment. He understands I've got this time to capitalize and I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I do that. I think for myself, having thought back on my career, there's definitely places where you think I'm weaving in and out of doing the hard stuff, right? Charlie is like, I'm going to hit the hard stuff right in the mouth and we're going to go for it. Well, that actually leads me into something I wasn't sure I was going to ask you about or not, but I've been putting together sort of my all-time Colorado Rockies starting lineup. And there's only well, thank, a, th thank you. Thank you for putting me in that, Drew. Right, right. Um, you just missed out on the cut. <laughs> uh, just, I had yeah. I had just first team, Corey. I did. I, had uh, first team. I appreciate that. I don't know what um, you were thinking. But one of the places where there was more of a debate than any other, the Rockies have had a lot of great outfielders over the years. We know who's who's in right. Um, what I did was I put cargo because of what you just said at his peak, and we're assuming peak in health here. So I put right. him in center field. Okay. Um, so the big debate really was in left field between the guy you were just talking about, uh, Charlie Blackman, uh, an all-time face of the franchise, a multiple-time All-Star. By the time he's done, he, he might lead or be second to Todd Helton in, in all of those uh, franchise categories. Or one of your closest friends, the best player on the best team in franchise history, Matt Holiday. Who you got? Uh, you know, I – I truly probably would be, I think I'd be close on their numbers, but I, it, when it comes to breaking down best or top, I like to look at like a peak four seasons, peak four, maybe even five if they qualify, if guys have got five peak seasons, which Holiday would have, haven't been there 04 all the way through 08. I'm, I'm probably, and this is going to be interesting. I'm going to give it to Charlie, man. I really, I, I think just what he's done at Coors Field for a longer period of time now. I mean, he battled those injuries early. And one of the things that really shook me, and I don't know if Charlie ever know, even knew this, and I'm going to say it, this will probably be the first time I've ever said it on TV. Or on, yeah, is in 2011 and 12, I was obviously not with the Rockies, but Spilly and Hopper and all those guys were still around. And they would tell me that Charlie Blackman, they would call him a poor man's biscuit. You know what that means? My nickname was Seabiscuit or oh, Biscuit. Yes. So they, they would tell me that Charlie was a lot like me, but not as good defensively. And I was like, oh, okay. I got news for him. Charlie Blackman and I should never be used in a comparative <laughs> sentence ever, ever, ever. <laughs> what Charlie has done to make himself – and think about that. That's the way his teammates evaluated him. Right. At the time, he was a good fourth outfielder. That's what they're saying. You know, He has grown into a phenomenal major league all-star level player and to me matt was always great and matt was you know what i mean I, I just give charlie a tip of the cap for everything he's done to work to make himself that that player because I, just the sacrifice and time that goes into that is incredible he deserves it it's it's similar to the trajectory that some left-handed pitchers have where it it's not until they hit 30 years old that they really, you know, come into their their own. And, and, and you see some of them pitching late into their 30s, even even early 40s. Um, and, and I think that's the same thing, uh, as you said, with with Charlie, is that he's just had to work so hard. It's just it's not natural for him. Whereas for Cargo, it it was more so. And, and Cargo, you know, had, uh, 
maybe not the benefit, but, you know, Cargo had Tulo by his side. So it was those two guys ahead of the right. pack. And and Todd, you know, and, and Holiday. Helton and Holiday were, were one Don't leave two. out Garrett. Don't leave out Garrett either. Garrett I, was monstrous back then. I was a big Garrett Atkins fan. No, yeah. no two ways about it. But Charlie yeah. has story and Nolan. So I think that's right. why he's getting overlooked because, yeah, he's – there, there are the three amigos together, but at, at no point, it was always usually just two guys kind of leading the pack over the last you know couple of decades. And he's now sharing with, with these two other guys on the left side of the infield. And, you know, he's, he's almost forgotten about or just underappreciated. And, you know, I kind of feel like if you look at Charlie, that's what he wants, right? Yeah. He, I mean, he, he's unassuming. You're unassuming. Most people don't realize how big Charlie Blackman is. Right. Like, he is a beast of a human being. He's tall, he's strong, he's fast. Um, but I think the thing that separates Charlie from a lot of people is his intelligence. He's brilliant, man. He really is. And when you're that smart and know how to use it in the game of baseball, because there are a lot of smart people in the game who can't figure it out, he's done an incredible job of figuring it out. I remember when he signed that contract, one of the reasons why I said he's going to be fine, even if his knees fall off and his back goes out and the whole thing is because of his hitting is 90% mental. Like you got to have the physical stuff down or whatever, but he, he just, he thinks through in that bat as well as I think anybody I've seen since probably Todd Helton on the Rockies. Yeah. But he also adapts. He knows how to adapt, not just in a bat in a game pitch by pitch. He understands all of it. He's so prepared. I mean, you guys see him when we're in the clubhouse. The guy is, he literally doesn't know how not to prepare. He's one of the guys that I think, what do you think he's doing right now? Right? Like Charlie and Nolan right now, I think they're just sitting there like this. (laughs) Right? Like, let's go. Chomping a bit. Yeah. You know, Charlie, uh, I heard recently some comments he made about, you know, the, the DH coming to the National League and, for him, he said he, he wasn't too much of a fan of it, you know, like sitting on the bench, just waiting for that opportunity. It, it is, you know, a rare breed that can excel doing that. It, it's harder than most people think. For you, you know, you spent your entire uh, career in the National League. I don't, I don't think you were a DH even once. Uh, maybe in the minors, can you talk about, you know, what has to go into not being on the field, but yet you're in the game and you, you constantly have to be ready? Yeah, so I actually DH probably cumulatively 10 times professionally um, and probably 10 more in spring training. It is easily the heart when your performance is measured in four at bats and that's all you're participating in and you go up and let's say you get the first pitch right down the middle fastball and you line out. Well, you've now got about an hour to sit there and think about that and your body starts to lock up. And, you know, you have to go ride the bike. You got to go hit in the cage. You also want to watch guys that are similar to you and how the pitcher's approaching them because you only saw one pitch. You want to know, okay, 1-0, is he going to the changeup? 1-0, is he going to the slider? So you've got to stay mentally tuned in. And it takes a uh, – I consider myself to be one of the – or a very focused person. But it takes a focus that I was not prepared for or didn't understand. And, you know, the guys who can't excel at it, I tip my cap because you have to be so locked in for those four at bats that you cannot give a pitch away. We always talk about giving a pitch away in at bat, but when you're playing the field, it's a lot harder to do because you go sit on the bench for virtually two hours and 57 minutes of a three, three hour game. 
the only three minutes are your th other at bats. That's I, to be able to lock in like that. I, I'm with Charlie. I don't know how I could do it. Oh man! It, well, if you want to improve your focus and your brilliance, I've I've got two of our sponsors that I need to thank that I can smash together here. You can drink some Strava Craft coffee and use your twenty percent off code DNVR twenty. Get all of that CBD in your system. Get yourself ready to go. None of the shakes, none of the anxiety, all that stuff. And then you can do some studying at msudenver.edu slash online. They've got over 40 online and hybrid programs, over 750 classes you can check out. A great time to bump up your education. Be ready to attack the world. Once the world is ready to be attacked again, that's msudenver.edu slash online. Line. I uh, don't want to let you get out of here, Corey, before reliving some of those glory days. Um, they now, and this was just brutal. I don't know if you saw this, but MLB Network played Game One sixty three from two thousand seven uh, uh, this last week, and of course, it was interrupted by news out of uh, Red Sox land, and there was yeah, shocker. <laughs> I was I was shocked honestly at, at how legitimately angry I was about this because it did could it have been literally anything else? Uh, we we didn't get to watch the rest of the game. Those who stayed up to the nine thirty got to watch game one sixty three. Um, I, I want to get into the game too, but man, the Red Sox really breaking it up. Yeah, I mean, well, again, this is the only problem with the fact that we have no news or nothing current to consume right that's what we jump on we're like well let's just put that on air it's new it's news let's watch let's talk about a video coordinator for four hours yeah, um, yeah, yeah. If, if, the, if the korean baseball organization and espn come to a deal in the middle of this show we may even just cut out to get to that news <laughs> yeah check in with what sonwan o is doing but uh, I'm pretty sure I've asked you this question before, and I'm 100% sure that you've answered it many, many times. But can you take us back to that day and just sort of set the scene a little bit? I know it was absolutely insane. And just listening to the pregame broadcast, taking me back to that day, it was like they were in shock that they were there. I think everyone was in shock to be even in the building. Yeah. I mean, so it's interesting. I had never attempted to watch the whole game before. Uh, I obviously that day attempted to watch the whole game and didn't get a chance to, but it amazed me how vividly I could remember certain things from that day. And even the day before, I mean, everybody's heard the speech about Hurdle telling we got, you know, Dragon Slayer Josh Fogg on the mound and Tuo going were screwed right and like that, that was the and like as loud as he could he used a different word but sure we <laughs> i recently talked about this i wish i could explain how 25 guys really 40 guys because that's how many guys there were in september just knew the path they were on but didn't understand it and i think fans could sense it i think fans for some reason, we're like, wait a second. In mid-September, these guys can make the playoffs. They're like eight games back, ten games back. And all of a sudden, everybody just started believing in the same thing. And it's incredible to me how that belief just kind of carried itself through all the way to game 163. 
And while the fans don't understand a role that they play, they know they do. And I promise you that run in September leading up to 163, all of that, the fans were paramount and tantamount to all of that. We needed all of it. We knew, we truly believed, you've heard everyone say it. We believed we were going to win every day. We didn't know how. When we came to the ballpark at 163, I honestly think all of us thought that that game was going to end 50 to nothing. But right. then when, when you, like, honestly, I think we just assumed we, it's been leading to this, right? So we're just going to walk right through them. But in hindsight, the story can't be written that way. And I think when you look at how it started, when you talk about epic novels, they have to have a hero, right? They have to have the guy. Todd Helton's Homer off the side of. I don't think there can be a better hero in a story written about a Colorado Rockies team to have that hero. I really don't. If Matt Holiday hits that home run, does it have the same weight? Does it have the same gravity as everything else? No, it does not. And, and game 163 was amazing. And seeing Helton and his response, right? Because you, you talked yeah. about everybody kind of turning. And, and I think we all look at that moment and watching him throw his helmet. And after all these years of stern, serious, at least to us on the outside, Todd Helton, to lose his collective <laughs> stuff that way was yeah. just like, did, did that send shockwaves through the team? Obviously. I, again, fans have heard it. You've heard it. Not one of us got undressed. Not one of us got changed, got showered until Todd came back into the clubhouse after doing interview after interview. I don't know how long the wait was. It could have been five minutes. It could have been 50 minutes. We were all waiting for when he came up. He got a standing ovation from his teammates. Pretty cool thing. Uh, there was one other thing I really noticed when I was watching that game that in hindsight, because when I watch it, I was so nervous watching it this time, obviously I'm just, I'm just watching it for the baseball stuff. And I noticed you guys seem so calm. Garrett Atkins put together in a bat in the first inning where he like, he fell behind, he looped a little liner into left a real like easy swing on a slider. He had no business taken into left field. Um, and, and all I could think, and like Helton almost hit a grand slam in the first inning. You guys jumped on him, at the, the Cy Young winner that year. Right. Uh, and uh, one guy I thought of too, the guy who hit the home run to put you up 3 nothing, Tori Alba, right. and his role in keeping everybody calm. So can you talk about that that calmness and and maybe his role in that as well? Yeah. So, Tori, obviously, you look back and you look at September and you look at the role Tori Alba had. He was the leader, but he was also kind of, it's interesting when you talk about major league clubhouses, you've got guys from all different cultures speak all different languages. Kaz is on that team, right? So we've got Japanese speaking, we've got Latin speaking players, we've got American. Tori somehow found a way to bridge it between all of us because a lot of teams you find starting pitchers are one place, relievers are one place, outfielders are over there, infielders are over here, catchers are doing their own thing because they're insane. And somehow Tori found a way to bring us all together. And you've heard everyone talk about that team and how everyone felt like it was a group of brothers. It really was. And I think Tori was just another one of those guys that helped us toddlers as we were all coined back in the day. Just, it was interesting because the, the toddlers, we won at the minor league levels all the way up. Wow. Right. So, so then you have some ancillary pieces because now you're performing at the major league level you, and you got a guy like Todd Helton and you got a guy like Tory, And then you've got these young pieces 
in a Ubaldo Jimenez and a Franklin Morales, right, to young Latin-speaking players that Tori just provides that steady heartbeat for that just, hey, guys, it's another game. Doesn't really matter. Let's go out and be ourselves and play the game. And I think you saw it reflected in all of us that played in that game is we knew we were going to win. We had no idea what it was going to come down to, obviously. And we just played the game and prepared to do our individual job to make ourselves this cohesive unit that was so much better. Do you do you think the catcher is is that the player, the position that it almost has to come from, like to bridge that gap, to bring everybody together? Or, or could it be anyone? It doesn't necessarily have to be someone who brings the uh, pitchers and the position players together. Could it be anyone at any position? Uh, I think it's possible. I think it takes a unique personality. If it's going to be a superstar or a starting pitcher, I, I think a lot of times you find guys that are either bench players, relievers. Uh, look, Troy Hawkins, I, I do not want to leave him out because if he ever, truthfully to me, what guys like him or Jamie Wright did as relievers to last that long in the game, I, I wish that the Hall of Fame ballot would change because I don't think anyone has any idea how difficult that is. And you're not going to see relievers who are sometimes closers and sometimes middle relievers and sometimes longer. They're never going to get in because they've done so many things and worn so many hats. LaTroy Hawkins personifies everything about a leader and a hard worker and a teammate and a brother that I've ever experienced in my life. And I pray to God that somehow, someday he gets into something like the Hall of Fame because when you read that creed, the credo for the Hall of Fame, he exemplifies all. But, Tori, yes, to get to your point, a catcher, it's usually, I mean, you look around Major League Baseball, look at the managers, look how many of them are catchers. Or, I mean, they understand what position players go through. They empathize with what pitchers go through. And I just think they, they form such a unique way to communicate to people. Yeah, we, we definitely see that right now with, with Tony Walters and what he's doing, you know, with the with yeah. pitchers and position players. So he's he's a great example of that. You're right. Yeah, it's uh, and, and with how much the game's changed and the information, it, it I can't even as a catcher, you have to process all of that. But more importantly, you've got to learn typically 15 to 16 different ways to communicate it. <laughs> right. 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 I mean. That's not one way or two ways. You've got to understand everybody's personality, how to challenge them, how they can consume it the right way so that it's effective and they know how to use it and channel it. Wow. That's right. a lot. The guy's got like an equally super close friendship type relationship with John Gray and Herman Marquez. Very correct. <laughs> very different people. Um, I, I did want to do a little bit more on the game. We got to get you out of here. Yeah, though, of course. But, no worries. Um, We're good. Uh, all right, right, right on. But somewhere to go. Okay, so, Do you have somewhere to go? <laughs> I, I don't. I didn't want to take up too much of your time. But good point. Fair enough. All right. So uh, Corey opened up that door, and Patrick and I just walked right through it. He said he had nothing better to do, I guess, and we decided to take advantage of it and do a whole lot more podcasts. So I'm going to wrap this one up here. Make sure you check out the second episode of it where we continue talking about Game 163. Uh, we get into more of what happened in that postseason, some of his thoughts on you know, what happened with that team and how it compares to some of the modern Rockies, and also some of his thoughts on what's going on in minor league baseball, which were really interesting and some that I hadn't uh, fully considered before. So I hope you'll tune back in for that. In the meantime, 
keep drink, drinking, drinking enough Breck Brew so that you start saying drinking. And make sure you got your Mile High Green Cross, your Manscaped. You're good to go. You're supporting all of these businesses because they support us during these times. It really does help out. So other than that, just follow on social media. Make sure you're subscribing to the DNVR.com and you're continuing to be absolutely awesome. I will continue to be absolutely Drew Creaseman. And until next time, we will see you at the ballpark.